Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, a very special episode of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. I'll get into more detail in just a second, but it's once again Grizzlies game day. Wherever you are and wherever you are listening, hope that you were excited for the Memphis Grizzlies to have the chance to go up 2-0 on the top-seeded Utah Jazz in the Western Conference playoffs. You can find the show at Locked On Grizz on Twitter. You can find myself, Sean Coleman, at StatsSAC. If you're a loyal listener who's been listening to the show for a while, Thank you so much. If you're a new listener, my name's Sean Coleman. I have been the host of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast for over a year. I have been covering the team with the great folks at Grizzly Bear Blues for three years. Credential media member. If you want the one place that can give you Grizzlies insight, perspectives, news, and the honest truth every single day, you come to the right place. Your Grizzlies every day here at the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. And the reason why this is a special show is because it's another crossover edition of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. This time, it's with the founder and president of the Locked On Podcast Network, David Locke, the very talented and wonderful radio play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz. In the second and third segment, I will be speaking with David about this series, recapping Game 1, looking forward to what Game 2 might mean, looking at the differences that need to happen for both teams to either remain successful or find more success, and obviously the return of Donovan Mitchell. We'll get into that with David in the second and third segment of the show. Of course, for this show, we want to remind you of our title sponsor, the Locker Room app, changing the way that we talk about sports every Thursday night at 8, including tomorrow night. I will host Let's Talk Grizzness, the Locked on Grizzlies podcast show that is on the Locker Room app, and obviously we'll have plenty to talk about. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about than anybody could have imagined a week ago. Obviously, the Grizzlies have Game 2 tonight on yesterday's episode. I went into detail about how the Grizzlies needed to improve from Game 1, how the impact of Donovan Mitchell is going to impact the game, and how a few folks, DeAnthony Melton and Jaron Jackson Jr., have to step up, obviously, in this game, I feel, and in the rest of this series for the Grizzlies to have an opportunity. But before we get into the the discussion with the David Locke, I also wanted to highlight one of the highlights of our conversation, and that is just how productive the Grizzlies' starting lineup has been. And it's been kind of under the radar in terms of their productivity. You know, for two years now, we've had the narrative that this Grizzlies bench... The Grizzlies' reserves are actually more advantageous than the Grizzlies' starters, and I certainly feel that that's been valid. Up until basically a month left in the regular season, this Grizzlies' bench has maintained being a very productive and advantageous aspect of this Grizzlies' team. Now, this year... It was different than it was in the 2019-20 season. It's been the three-point shooting of Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, and others instead of, and and the defense, instead of the efficiency and consistency of Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark like it was in the 1920 season. But overall, the bench has remained a true strength. But as we've gone into detail... The bench, unfortunately, has not been as productive as of late. And so you've started to see a transition 
When it comes to Taylor Jenkins' philosophy, we talk about the Grizzlies' depth being a strength. We talk about their ability to throw different lineups and different skill sets together as being a strength. But at the end of the day, what has emerged and continued to become a stronger and stronger truth this year is that the Grizzlies' starters at the end of the day are the ones that are making the biggest difference. And I know that that shouldn't seem like it's it's some type of revelation or that, you know, that's that that should be some type of surprising um, you know, development. You want to play obviously if your these players are starting, they're likely your best players. But while they are the Grizzlies' best players, it's just surprising how they've consistently been able to be productive despite playing more talented teams over time. And it's not like this starting lineup has just all of a sudden out of the blue become productive. In the NBA this season, there were 11 four-man lineups in the league that played 800 or more minutes together. The Grizzlies quartet of John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas, and Kyle Anderson had a 9 net rating, had a net rating of 9. That was third among that group of 11 that have played 800 or more minutes together. That's how good this group has been. Now, I'm not saying that they're the third best starting lineup in the NBA. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is is that one thing that has benefited the Grizzlies is that while they've dealt with some injuries, and yes, Ja Morant, Jonas Valanciunas, they've dealt with their own absences as well. Overall, One thing that has helped the Grizzlies is that their main four guys that have started nearly every game together, they have remained as healthy as possible at least since January. And another big key is, is not only have they remained an advantage as a quartet of players, they've continued to improve in terms of how advantageous they can be. For instance, in the second half, of this season, they were one that that quartet of players was one of only two four-man lineups in the NBA that played 600 or more minutes together. So, and they remained just as productive. It was an 8.6 net rating in the second half of the season. But the big thing about it is, is that I know that this Grizzlies team has played a lot of games in a short amount of time. But one benefit of that is that this quartet of players have been able to continue gelling and and, and and feeding off each other, learning each other. They have continued to improve and evolve to where you can honestly say right now they're peaking. This season, a nine net rating and over 800 minutes together. In the month of May, playing 157 minutes together, this four-man quartet had a nine. 18.6 net rating. And in game one, against the Utah Jazz, against the best team in the NBA, this Grizzlies quartet had a 22 net rating in 28 minutes. So what that tells you is that because of the time that they played together, and we've seen different variations of starting lineups. We've seen Grayson Allen with it. We've seen Desmond Bain with it. We've seen Jaron Jackson Jr. with it. Basically, the concept has been Ja Dillon, Kyle Jonas with a shooter in some way, shape, or form. But not only are we seeing just that, just how productive this lineup can be, they are peaking at the right time. 
Two elimination games for the Grizzlies last week. Game one of the NBA playoffs this week. The numbers continue to get better as the competition gets better. And the coach, coach Taylor Jenkins is realizing this because those four players played 28 minutes together in game one. So that's one of the that's a big reason why this Grizzlies team is shocking the world, surprising, whatever it may be. Even though it may be completely unexpected as to what the Grizzlies are doing, the way that they're doing it makes logical sense. Their four best players this season are peaking together, playing together at the right time. And that's what it comes down to. And credit to Taylor Jenkins of realizing that and knowing that that gives this Grizzlies team the best chance to win. Now, do I know if that's going to continue? Do I know if this is going to be the reason why the Grizzlies could eventually, you know, perhaps eliminate the Jazz in the first round? I don't know. At the end of the day, I would still say that the Jazz, especially with Donovan Mitchell, have the more talented starting lineup. But there's no denying that a big, but a big reason why this Grizzlies team has won nine out of their last ten, two elimination games, and continue to beat teams that are at their level of talent or above it is because the best four players on this Grizzlies roster in terms of playing together are peaking at the right time, and Coach Jenkins is featuring it as much as possible to give this Grizzlies team the chance to win. Hope you enjoy the next two segments as we talk with Utah Jazz play by radio play-by-play announcer and founder and president of the Locked On Podcast Network, David Locke. Me and him go into detail, recapping Game 1, discussing the return of Donovan Mitchell, and how both teams have areas where they need to improve going forward. Enjoy. So I can, well, I can only speak for myself. I feel that one thing that I have in common with many sports fans around the world is I always want to find ways to make my sports fandom better. And one of the best ways out there to do that right now is the Locker Room app. The social media, social audio app that allows for you to connect with sports fans from around the world. Regardless of you just wanting to talk with folks about the team that you cheer for, the sports that you love, or the athletes that you admire, the Locker Room app gives you a great opportunity to do that. Perhaps you want to talk about other sports, sports that you have interest in but don't have a lot of knowledge on. You have the ability to talk about that from fans who cover those sports on a daily basis. Say you're someone who wants to begin your career as a content creator. It's a great way to network and find contacts that can help your career go beyond what you had thought it could before. The great thing about the Locker Room app is that it's very easy to use. You simply go to the App Store via Android or Apple, download the Locker Room app, create a profile, and within a few seconds, you're able to to chat. And don't forget, every week I do host the Let's Talk Grizzness locker room edition of Locked on Grizzlies every Thursday night at 8. So much to talk about. Come join myself and many other Grizzlies fans as we enjoy the success of the Grizzlies this season. Don't forget to go to the App Store, download the locker room app, create your free profile, and get to chatting right away. The locker room app, changing the way we talk about sports. In the NFL, we call it Crossover Thursday. In the NBA, we call it Between Game 1 and 2 when we have lots of days. I'm David Locke, along with Sean Coleman, Locked On Grizzlies. I host Locked On Jazz. If you're a Locked On Grizzlies listener, thanks very much for supporting Sean. If you're a Locked On Jazz listeners, here you get to meet my man, Sean Coleman. Pleasure to meet you, David. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk with you. All right, so how fired up 
is Memphis and do after game one? Oh, absolutely fired up. They it just, it's amazing how much a week can change fortunes, outlooks, whatever it may be. But for a young team that plays with energy, plays with momentum, um, like this Grizzlies team had to be on this run right now is absolutely incredible. But with Taylor Jenkins and, you know, the years beyond their age and maturity wise, uh, they have the ability to calm it down and know that a much bigger prize is at stake here. So I think they're excited, but also focused on taking advantage of the opportunity that they've earned. Okay, the Jazz perspective is that Memphis came out, was very physical, um, held, grabbed, bodied, Dylan Brooks headbutted. They did all those kind of things. Uh, the Jazz were a little discombobulated because the Donovan Mitchell fiasco, and the Jazz just weren't right, and Memphis had kind of a little mojo. What's the take out of Memphis? The take out of Memphis is, is that we the style of the game went in our favor. Transition game, um, you know, 100, 100 shot attempts for us, 19 more than the Jazz was something definitely a positive. Uh, but there's also the takeaway that, you know, the Grizzlies did take advantage of the fact that that curveball was thrown to the Jazz. You could clearly see it. Other players were having to step up in roles that they usually don't have to perform in, and the Grizzlies took advantage of that. They kind of they kind of punched the Jazz in the mouth, and, you know, though the Jazz came back, this Grizzlies team was confident, and so I do think they took advantage of the curveball with the Donovan Mitchell situation. Where were the Grizzlies, in your mind, better than usual? It, oh, to commit creating turnovers, especially against a team like the Jazz that are so disciplined. Uh, that's something that we had done well at the first of the season. Fatigue had kind of cost us that ability, but the ability to just make steals, Jaron Jackson, Kyle Anderson, especially, the ability to create turnovers, that allowed for the game to get more in transition than probably many had hoped, and that's what gave us the advantage that we needed to get the win. What are Grizzlies fearful of as the series moves forward? Donovan Mitchell coming in, given 40 minutes of ball handling to both him and Mike Conley being staggered and the game going the Jazz way with half-court opportunities. The Jazz took 47 threes. They're not going to shoot 25% again taking 47 threes. And the other thing is, are we going to be able to move the ball ourselves to set up threes when we have far less self-sufficient ability than the Jazz do in creating those threes? It is really interesting on the three-point end. There should be, the Jazz should have a tremendous math advantage here. Like the, the Grizzlies should end up in a math problem. Even the Grizzlies shot chart the other night doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I, I have to go back and look at it again, but I, my memory is that they took about 40 shots in the floater zone in that game, in the paint non-restricted area. That is not a good shot. That is not a shot that uh, you can rely on for 40 shots a game. And yet, I mean, partially because the Jazz shot so poorly from three, they were able to get away with that. But over, you know, as the sample size extends, I I don't think that can be a answer. I mean, the Grizzlies, the final number, I pulled it up right now. They took 43 shots in the paint non-restricted. They only hit 37%. It wasn't like they had a, a great game at that. So to only take 23s to me, that math problem comes in to be a problem before the series is over for the Grizzlies. Oh, yeah. They, they're overwhelmingly under 500 under Taylor Jenkins when they make less than 10 threes a game. The Jazz are overwhelmingly over 500 when they prevent their opponent from taking that many. And if you were you had a better view than anybody, David, that end of the first quarter, second quarter, one where the Grizzlies couldn't hit anything, they overcame it by scoring 27 points in the final six minutes of the second quarter. You're not going to do that against the Jazz often. So they're going to have to hit those shots and probably you're going to have to get to the rim more. Yeah, Rudy Gobert threw a shutout there, by the way Rudy Gobert came in the game and went out of the game and the Memphis did not have a field goal in that entire stretch um, of the game 
Uh, you know, Sean, I, I will rewatch the game and, and you know, who will, will, will never know. I guess we'll know a little bit in this game. It, it's 54 50 in the third quarter. The jazz have actually only had like three offensive possessions. They've gotten two wide open threes in the third quarter, one by Bogdanovich, one by Ingles, one went in, one didn't. Um, and Mike Conley picks up his fourth foul and a possession later, Rudy Gobert picks up his fourth foul. And that's where the lack of Donovan to me just it jumped out. Joe, th- then there's this weird sequence where Joe Ingles is supposed to be the point guard and never touches the ball. And all this kind of strange stuff happens. But to me, I thought, and I'm obviously a jazz homer and I've watched it all year and the, the jazz are the best third quarter team in the league. So I met, you know, I might've just bought myself into believing this, but I thought the jazz had made some adjustments there. I felt like the game was suddenly swinging the jazz direction and then the foul trouble swings it back the other way. Is that being too homeristic about Utah or is that a fair assessment? No, it's a fair assessment. And the Grizzlies are actually one of the better, especially defensively, one of the better third quarter teams in the league as well. But it's that it's that avalanche effect. It's that slippery slope. You've got Donovan out. Now you've got Conley out. Who's handling the ball? Jordan Clarkson initiating an offense. He's very good with the ball himself. Obviously just winning the six-man of the year award. But you've got a lot of guys who are taking on extra responsibilities in their roles. And this is a jazz team that is so good because guys define their roles so well. Now they're stepping out of those comfort zones. And it, it just wasn't there for them without the two constants and Conley and Gobert. So I agree with you. I don't think either one of them scored in the third quarter. That was the big plus for Memphis. The other one that jumped out at me was to credit Memphis was there were multiple times I rewatched the game where it was hard for me to believe the Jazz were about to be down 15. Like I felt like the game was heading the Jazz direction. Things were going their way. And then to Memphis's credit, they were resilient. They fought through it. They made the right play. Like, uh, that to me, actually, in retrospect, re-watching the game, I, I don't know if you followed my Twitter thread. If, if, if Grizzly fans are interested, it was at DLock09, uh, where I rewatched the game. And, and I kept kind of being stunned. Like, I'm watching him saying, there's no way they're about to be down 15 or 18 here because things are heading their direction. And, and I, credit to Memphis, it didn't happen. Well, and you look at that bookend mark uh, from uh, the end of the third quarter when Desmond Bain hit the three on George Niang, and then obviously the steal and trailing three by um, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. We went from y'all getting within six to us going up nine, and then it was 12 to 15. That bookend, we may not have hit that many threes, but they were big threes late in the game, and I think that's what kind of helped. Every time there was a run that y'all were trying to make, we would hit a clutch three at the exact right time, and that really helped the momentum swing for us, especially that Jackson Jr. three off the steal. Uh, oh, and, and give Jackson credit. It's the block on the other side. That that two-play sequence was probably the basketball game. Like that, to Jaron Jackson's credit, you know, the crowd's about to erupt. He makes the block on the – and then he hits the three the other way. That was that was awesome. All right, two numbers I found about the Grizzlies I'm really interested in learning more about, Sean. Uh, one is, I, I believe if I pull it up, and I've got a few 8,000 notes here. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to know anything about the series, let me know. So the Grizzlies – with this starting lineup, we're plus 19 per 100 possessions. 74th percentile offensively, 85th percentile defensively. I think it was just 11 games because that's when Jaron Jackson came back. Is that a fair representation of how good this team is or were there some soft opponents in there? or is it? But plus 19 per 100 possessions, that's elite, elite, elite level. 
Yeah, no, it's good defense, and we, we've been playing very good defense as well. Um, it's just the, this Grizzly starting lineup really hasn't clicked yet, David, in terms of doing everything at once. They've just been really, really good at doing one thing, like Dylan Brooks and Jonas Valanciunas having two straight games of being offensive stars that they're not normally at. Really good turnover ratio that's really helped us out over Friday and obviously game one. Um, they really haven't shot the three just incredibly well. John Morant has played better with this starting lineup. But, you know, the other starting lineup without Jaron in there was with Jaw, Grayson, Dylan, Kyle, and Jonas. That quartet of Jaw, Dylan, Kyle, and Jonas, I think is very underrated as a quartet of starters. And I think that that's kind of what's carried us. So I don't think we're that good, obviously. I think it's just been we've done one thing extremely well at different times, and it's been different things that has helped us win, I believe, now nine out of our last ten. Yeah, that that – that lineup was plus nine. I mean, the four primary lineups you use with John ja Morant are plus 19, plus nine, plus 10 and plus 15. So the, you know, the, that's, I don't think the jazz are going to be able to win those minutes. I think they're going to have to win the Tyus Jones minutes. And it's what the jazz have really done all year. Again, going back to the foul trouble problem for Memphis fans where the jazz have dominated teams it was with about a minute and a half to two minutes left in the first quarter to about three minutes left in the second quarter. The Jazz run out of lineup that's against a bench unit, and they run two All-Stars, two sixth men, and George Niang. So Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, George Niang, and Rudy Gobert. And that lineup went on a 10-0 run to close the first quarter, but never got on the floor in the third quarter because of foul trouble. Yeah, no, and that's when Coach Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies likes to run out that small ball lineup. You've got Tyus, you've got Xavier Tillman probably playing the five, and typically you would see Brandon Clark out there, but I think that uh, Coach Jenkins is staggering it with Kyle at the four, and then you've got Melton and Bain out there. It's small ball for the Grizzlies versus just an absolute talented lineup for the Jazz, and if we're not hitting threes, David, I just don't think we had a chance. You obviously saw that in game one. So just to give everyone the impact of that, and then we'll come back to the second number I had in our next segment with Sean here on Locked on Grizzlies, Locked on Jazz crossover. Jazz were plus 10 with that lineup on the floor to end the first quarter, and plus 5 with that lineup to open the second quarter, plus 15. That lineup does not get on the floor in the third, in the third or fourth, in the third quarter, and they go uh, plus 1, and it goes minus six to open the fourth quarter without its regular rotation playing different guys as Valanchunas, I think might've altered his substitution patterns a little bit to match uh, Rudy Gobert in that. All right. He's Sean Coleman. I'm David Locke. This is locked on jazz, locked on Grizzlies crossover, something only the locked on podcast network could do with the local experts covering the biggest stories. Make sure you catch locked on today. It's your daily podcast, 20 minutes running you through. It's your cup of coffee on the sports world is what it is. Make sure you grab it. It's locked on today. Ask for it on your, whatever your podcast provider is. For some of us, maintaining a healthy lifestyle can certainly be a struggle. I certainly can admit, can admit to that myself. But one thing I can tell you is that the way to do it is to start off with small yet significant commitments that you can make a part of your everyday routine. And that starts with eating better. And one of the best ways I can think to do that is including Built Bar as a part of your day. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. The best tasting protein bar that's out there on the market right now. And it's such a versatile part of your day. 
Have it in the morning for breakfast, in the afternoon as a snack, before or after a workout. However you choose to enjoy your daily eating habits, adding Built Bar to it will certainly benefit you. And the great thing about it is, is that you think protein bar, you think, oh, it may not taste that good. But there's over 18 different flavors you can choose from at BuiltBar.com. And I can tell you, there's likely going to be one that's going to meet your taste preferences. When you go to BuiltBar.com, put in the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, to get 15% off your next order from BuiltBar. Once you make Built Bar a part of your day, it's going to be there to stay. Go to BuiltBar.com, put in the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order from Built Bar. Both the NBA and NHL playoffs are here. And the great thing about it is, is that with them being here, that means that there's so many other opportunities to enjoy when it comes to betting and wagering on sports. And if that is part of what makes your fun of being a fan as great as can be, I've got the one place that has you covered. That's betonline.ag. Betonline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing as well. And you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the play- to the playoffs and in the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device and the promo code Locked On to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online Sportsbooks experts visit betonline.ag today. Sean Coleman is the Locked On Grizzlies host. I am David Locke. I host Locked On Jazz. Thanks to both the Grizzlies and the Jazz fans that are listening to this. Can't we all just get along? Yes, we can because we all like Mike Conley. All right, the second one that in my numbers research that I looked at, uh, Sean, was the Grizzlies lost the most games of any team in the NBA when leading going to the fourth quarter, 11 games. And it, you know, they blew a pretty good-sized lead in the fourth quarter the other night. Uh, yet, Jaw has, you know, made these huge plays against the Warriors, huge plays against us the other night. What has led to those fourth-quarter losses this year for the Grizzlies? Unless we have had someone step up and basically play hero ball like Jaw or Dylan have done during this stretch over the past three weeks, the overall team concept of running a functional offense just has not been there. I mean, you know, to start off this streak, it took against the Raptors, the G League Raptors, basically, David. It took DeAnthony Melton shooting five threes in the fourth quarter. So that is one thing that kind of has helped us out. We've had Dylan have good stretches during the fourth. John Game Wood had good stretches. The problem is, is that if we don't have that one player basically take over for us down the stretch our offensive schemes and and strategies just are not working I don't know if it's lack of adjustment it probably is but just the right calls being made to set up something consistent by the time we get to the fourth quarter our opposition has figured us out and that's one area where Taylor Jenkins has got to improve unless one player is taking over there's just not the right calls being made and we struggle to consistently score or and hitting free throws has also been a struggle is how different is John ja Morant today than he was at the halfway mark or is or not? I do believe that there's a difference for him. I believe that there is more of a confidence in knowing when to be that value-added playmaker that, you know, we've talked about him being there. Obviously, the leadership, you know, the maturity beyond his years there. I think the competence in his scoring and the confidence in his scoring, he's a more intelligent scorer, more confident scorer, and I do think that he trusts his three-point shot more from April till the end of the regular season. He shot nearly 40% from three. I know he had that game on Sunday 
where he stepped up and, or excuse me, he did not step up shooting the three, but it made all the difference in the world in the elimination game against the Warriors. So he's a more resourceful scorer, more intelligent decision maker when it comes to setting up his teammates versus scoring himself. I think we've seen the evolution in his game, not to where he's going to be a consistent all-star like starting next year, but at the very least a difference maker in multiple ways on offense. Donovan Mitchell returns. So I'm assuming Dylan Brooks, who guarded the number one option of a opponent's offensive player. Wow, I said that terribly. Let's try that again. Dylan Brooks, who guarded the number one offensive player on the other team, the second most of any player in the NBA. Royce O'Neal is the only one who did it more. I'm assuming that that Dylan Brooks guards Donovan Mitchell. How do you think the rest of the matchups go in in, uh, with Donovan Mitchell back? Well, I mean, my guess is so that the starting lineup is Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, uh, Conley, um, Gobert, and Mitchell. I say Dylan's on Mitchell, obviously. Valanciunas is on Gobert. I think we're probably going to put Jaron on O'Neal, Kyle on Bogdanovich, and that would put Jaw on Conley. So in that situation, I liked – one thing I will say when you look at the Grizzlies' schedule, Donovan Mitchell by far was the most successful Elite perimeter score against the Grizzlies, that back-to-back 35-point effort each night series back in March. But I do like our matchups elsewhere. I think that, you know, Valanciunas has gotten better at defending the pick-and-roll and switching and things like that over the past month or so. I do feel okay with Kyle against Bogdanovich. Jaw versus Conley is what scares me. And then basically we're hoping that Jaron kind of acts as a rover to make momentum-shifting plays on defense. That's basically what I think the Grizzlies are going to have to rely on in the half court. Jaw's not a great defender yet, is he? No. Definitely, he's one aspect he's getting better in. He's getting better at creating turnovers, but also the distraction plays. He created, I believe it was five turnovers from that game on the against the Warriors on Sunday through the final elimination game of the play-in. Just caused five turnovers, just distracting, getting in front of the guy, making the guy look up and, and mishandle to create a turnover. He's getting better at creating turnovers, but still is below average in terms of the on-ball effective defense. It's interesting, I was, because uh, defensively, when Jonas is in the pick and roll with Brooks, you're about 0.97 points, which is good. It's not it's not as good as I would have thought. It's really good. It's it, like it's I actually thought it would have just been crazy elite with those two. Um, but when Morant is in the pick and roll and Jonas defending, it's 1.06, which is actually bad. So I thought that was really interesting. And I, I would suspect that you'll try to see the Jazz run some more small, small action to be able to get Morant and make him play pick and roll guarding either Conley or Donovan. Yeah, and, and of course, the whole thing about the pick and roll is how effective you set that screen. Dylan, obviously, very good against playing through the screen. Jaw does get swallowed up by screens a bit too much at times. It could just be a science thing. It comes with intelligence with how young he is. But I think the difference that you see there is the effectiveness fighting through the screens to still be a distraction instead of the spacing being created like crazy through y'all's pick and roll offense. Just so Grizzly fans don't think I was being critical, just so I'm clear, like, Conley and Gobert and O'Neal and Gobert are 0.82 points per pick and roll defense. So when I say that I was surprised that Brooks and Gobert or Brooks and Jonas weren't better, I expected them to be like 0.9 kind of in that range of things. That's, that's where that comment is coming from. It's not a, you know, comparing to what, um, you know, what I've seen, you know, I, I think both those guys are elite. So I guess that's where it is. Here's an interesting one for you, Sean. I obviously over prepped this. I call the game. So 
the off-the-bounce three-point shot to me is the key for the Jazz. I talked about it in the first segment yep. on Locked on Jazz today. Here are the numbers going into the playoffs of what the Jazz players did on off-the-bounce threes in the three games against the Grizzlies. And then the numbers aren't great the, the other night. In fact, they're, um, well, I'm being polite. They were awful. But here are the numbers of the Jazz players against the Grizzlies this year. And I think Memphis deserves credit for this. I'm not, I, I know people like to say three-point shooting is variable and it just kind of equalizes out. I, like, I'm not totally sure that I buy that in some of these. I think you can create off-the-bounce threes that aren't as rhythmic as they would be otherwise. So here are the numbers on the Jazz players on off-the-bounce threes against the Memphis Grizzlies, and then I'll add their playoffs, okay? Mike Conley was 3 of 10. He was 2 of 7 in game 1. Boyan Bogdanovich was 0 for 2. He was 1 for 5. Jordan Clarkson against Memphis this year on off-the-bounce threes was 3 of 16. He's now 3 of 21 because he went 0 for 5. Joe Ingles was 0 for 6. He's now 1 for 9 because he went 1 for 3. That, to me, is the whole series. You drop the big. The Jazz can't bury the off-the-bounce three. We got a series. We do. And, and, the, and you know, that's the thing that they talked about is the two things that Memphis did well to take um, the Jazz out of their function is they were very physical, as the Jazz stated, and also they created turnovers, especially against Jordan Clarkson, who you probably hoped would step up and be that individual surge that Donovan Mitchell usually is. The Grizzlies did a very good job against him, especially Kyle Anderson creating turnovers. So they were very effective at being physical with them, even during those games where we lost. They were very physical with them. This game one, if you remember, David, mirrored that third game that we played against y'all, that Donovan was not there. And I think, again, that turnover and physical style of play for us has really helped out. We'll see what it does with Donovan back in because he certainly was an answer for it in those two games, first two games of the regular season. So the off the bounce three is the first thing I'm watching in this ball game. I think this, the the second one, I, I, I actually think that's kind of the primary. The, the other thing I'm actually watching is the Jazz uniqueness to the Jazz is they equally distribute those pick and rolls. So Donovan, Mike, and Joe Ingles. And Joe Ingles was just not a part of it at all. And Jordan had the worst game I've seen him have all year. So I'm watching Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson without Dylan Brooks guarding them, whether they can come free. So those are the two things that I'm watching this game. What are you watching uh, from a Grizzlies point of view as, as we wrap this up? Well, of course, it's the consistency with being able to stay on offense and how this team, number one, is going to create the transition opportunities that it needs to if the turnovers are harder to come by now with the staggering ball handling minutes of Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. And to be honest with you, the main thing I'm looking at, David, is our ability to use our passing, which has been considered a lead at times with how well we played under Taylor Jenkins, how we're going to be able to create those threes out of the half court, getting Bane, getting Melton, getting Nate Allen, who all have struggled shooting the three over the past month. They're going to have to step up, even Jackson Jr. How are we going to find enough three-point opportunities to make what we're going to need to make to stay with y'all in game two? Let me ask one more question before we go. Give me some insight on Taylor Jenkins. I think he's one of the great coaches in this league. Uh, I actually think, you know, he should be in the coach of the year conversation as much as Quinn and Tom Thibodeau and Monty Williams uh, to get this team into the playoffs. Uh, And, you know, great story. He was an intern. He's 36. Quinn's like 54. So uh, I think 52 or 54. So they were, you know, big age difference. But Taylor Jenkins as a young kid was an intern for Quinn Snyder in Austin. Uh, I, I think he, 
I think he sees the game in a, in a really unique fashion. He's got a great G League background. Uh, tell me a little bit more watching Taylor Jenkins in two years. I mean, we, we realized we had a really special one along the way. I have a feeling you have the same thing going on. Absolutely. And, you know, the nuances of coaching, like the challenges and the late game situations, those are still the progress. But the gut decision making, you know, at times it struggles. But one thing that Taylor Jenkins does is he immediately got the trust and the confidence of the players in him because of how much confidence that he gave them last year. None of the players played with the fear, David, of thinking that if they made mistakes, they were going to get pulled early or they were going to get chastised or whatever. He knew there were growing pains. So the confidence and trust is certainly there. And also with how organized he is, his thought process of all the organization that he does, just real quickly being able to go through the information he needs to, that's what allows for him to have confidence in going with the gut calls of putting a Tillman over a Jaren Jackson Jr. and a Grayson over a Bain in the overtime of that elimination game against the Warriors. Those things right there really stand out. Hey, that, those were incredible moves. He might have blown the challenge on that one earlier, and everybody had to stop talking about that along the way. Sean, it was great chatting with you. The Grizzly fans are lucky to have you. Jazz fans are lucky to have you today. You brought great insight. We super appreciate you having it on the show, and I hope Grizzly fans enjoyed it as well. My pleasure, David. It was a pleasure to talk with you.